How are we doing, mates? Welcome back to the Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland Smith. Now, I'm coming from a very unique place, downtown Sydney, uh, but I'm in a hotel room. I've been in here for 10 straight days. I've got four left. I've got two weeks of hotel quarantine. Basically, when you fly into Australia, guess what? You got to sit in a hotel room for two weeks. You can't leave your room, you don't get a room key. If you think that they let you go outside for 15 minutes or you get to go use the facilities, no chance. I have not left this room for 10 days. So if I sound a little uh, scattered in this intro, that might be why. But uh, a lot of you have written some some uh, some good suggestions to get through it. I'm getting through it. i got a couple days left, uh, but I've been enjoying myself. been doing some, some uh, good podcast episodes too. It's been a blast. I've gotten a chance to do that. But this episode was actually recorded before I got into this hotel quarantine. So... Very special guest this week, someone who I met back in 2011. We hit it off and we've been friends ever since. We only spent the spring training together uh, with the Houston Astros. But this guy's career has just gone through the roof. He has seen the ups and downs, and we dive into that in this episode. It's the Atlanta Braves closer, Mr. Mark Melanson. Now, Mark has had a ton of success. But we go back to what were those turning points? There was one with the Boston Red Sox he dives into. And there's also one with Russell Martin. This story is awesome. It's coming up in this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Before we get into that, please leave me a review, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Pandora, wherever you listen to this podcast, uh, make sure you leave me a review. Nice little five-star piece. Uh, talking about how much you love this, it, it helps the podcast out. And go to www.thetopstep.com, uh, check out past episodes and some stuff that's coming up. You've got to subscribe. We've got some good guests coming up uh, once I get out of hotel quarantine. All right, I'll leave you to it. Mark Melanson and I get stuck right into it on this next episode. So enjoy as Mark Melanson joins me on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face a Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. As You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. All right, Mike. Dude, good to have you. It was tough to, tough to get this going. You're a busy man, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Um, I wake up, I try to have my schedule, nothing on it. And before you know it, it's midnight and I'm still doing stuff. So I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm just glad I could break away and, and get on this uh, chat with you. Yeah, well, well, hopefully we can we can take a bit of a deep dive. And th these are like, I say this all the time, these are like therapy for me, man. If I get a chance to talk to guys like you and, and some of the other people I've had, it, it's I, I love it. So hopefully, you know, we can carve out a bit of time. But where are you at the moment? I'm at home. I, I came at, came to home for a minute and uh, it worked out perfect. So where Where is home for you now? In Florida. Okay. Yeah, wh where are you at? I'm in Seattle. So I'm up here full time, man. It's um, it's tough. It's this is literally. I bought a house in 2008. I'm like, oh, Seattle, beautiful weather. It's great because it's only here during the summer. Right, <laughs> right. The last couple of years I've had to experience the winter. I'm like, man, like just it's not so much the cold, but it's yeah. just it's just the daylight, dude. I, I'm 
I grew up on the beach. I, I need that vitamin D. You know, I struggle with it, man. I, I really do. So, so what? Uh, what's your plan? Are you are you gonna just live there during the season? Are you gonna sell your house? What? No, we're. I mean, we're literally we're. You know, we're up here full time. Um, yeah. But there has been those conversations. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Like my in laws are down in Arizona. We we're down there a couple of weeks ago, and it was just man, just straight blue sky and i'm like I, I just need this this is what i need right here i need some space blue sky yeah. you know I miss well, it. i don't i think you're crazy first of all just because uh <laughs> australia is the greatest place on earth i know it's on our bucket list to live there someday so yeah i'm with you i don't know what you're doing i think you're crazy but i know dude well hey uh, yeah unlike you i mean you, you're <laughs> making you know life altering money <laughs> i'm gonna work dude <laughs> i need employment here it is so that, that that's where i'm at but uh man last time we you know basically when i first met you i don't know where i've bumped into you since then but it was 2011 spring training with the astros and you just come over from the uh from the yankees mm -hmm. um and you were at that point you were a young buck trying to figure it all out man look where you yeah. are now you've had an amazing <laughs> career it's been fun to watch well, old dogs like you taught me the way. So, <laughs> you, hey, we'll, we'll catch partners, man, for a while. Though. I know it was great. I yeah, miss you it. Were, you were snapping off that split and that hook, and I was like, dude, <laughs> like this. I think I'm trying to think what glove I was using at that point. I was like, dude, this thing can't ha can't hang. You know? You're like, jump down, dude, jump down and catch this flat ground. I was like, please, really? So, oh man, well, I'll never forget Kasimi. I think uh, it's ironic because I. I live in Florida now. I never thought I'd live in Florida, but Kissimmee, that might have been the worst spring training site there was. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, man. And you said it, man. You said it. I went from, you know, I had my whole career with the Mariners, and that's all I knew. You know, Peoria right. was a nice setup. It wasn't the newest, whatever, but it was a good setup. Out to Kissimmee, where it was just like, it was like the, the land that time forgot, I feel like. <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah. And you were coming, yeah. you, that was your first spring training, right? With the, with the Astros? I had two spring trainings with the Yankees. Yeah. So, yeah. No, Houston was great for me. You know, I got to start closing there and that, that was fun. That was, we were terrible, but it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was really that, that first, you wouldn't call it a rebuild, but it was more of that. Yeah. And that was back in the year. I've talked to a lot of guys I've had on, on the show, a lot of, a lot of baseball players about the climate now, I feel like half the teams, and you've been lucky because you've been on winning teams, right? Like lately, especially, and you've signed a big deal to, make, to be an impact player. But I feel like 50% of baseball, it's acceptable now in the last five or so years. And the Astros did it, you know, after you were there. And the Chicago Cubs did it when Theo Epstein came in, basically waving the white flag before spring training even starts. It says, oh, we're rebuilding. We've got a three to five year plan. Um, this team right now, we're just going to strip away. And the other half of the team's like, you know, stacking it up. You know what I mean? And I feel like the, right. the Astros back then, you know, I was down in, I got DFA, I'm in AAA. And literally the pitching coach said to me, um, what's it, Bert Hooten? Remember Bert? Remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said to me, man, like I was pitching really well the month of April. I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to get back up here. And I made a comment. I said, hey, man, like, you know, what do I need to do or something, you know, like the yeah. glass half full like that? Give me something motivational here. What do right. I need to do to get a crack? And, and he said, dude, you're not going up. <laughs> like, <laughs> as if to say, like, all the – and I get it. I get it from a business standpoint. You know, you had Jordan Lyles, all these other younger guys. They're going up. They're, they're, as soon as they're ready, they're going up. 
And so all of a sudden yeah. the, the, the wind was out of my sails and I'm in AAA just hanging, you know? Yeah. And, and he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, lying to you. I mean, that's just the way, but I think that's, what's wrong. Not having a, you know, kind of a bottom, you can have a salary cap, but if you don't have a salary bottom, yeah, like teams are just going to tank and they know it. Everybody knows it, but yeah. Have that's you, the best plan. Business and that's kind of the talk at the moment of, you know, CJ Nikowski works with the Rangers in the media. Uh, you know, I spoke to someone you've probably ran into Peter Moylan. He's with the Braves. Um, you know, a couple other guys I've had on too. And they talked about having that creating something to avoid the fact of half the half of major league baseballs. Oh, we're rebuilding. We're just going to tank, get that first round pick. We're going to you know bring up our double A guys. And the other half is actually going for it. I, I wish if that's the answer to, to avoid that and to, to, to overcome that, would be, that would be great, man, to have 30 yeah. teams ripping in. Yeah, awesome. having, having a floor, I think, would, would help a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. We'll yeah. see. The new CBA is coming up. You know, it's going to be a big talk, I'm sure. Yeah. You went from – you know, the, the getting, getting a start with the Astros and you, and you appreciate that. Obviously you, you said you were, you guys are terrible, but that basically gave you a platform to, to do what you eventually ended up doing. Right. And then I, I want to look back, I'm looking back, you know, through your career. And I remember watching this 2012, you were the Red Sox and who was the manager that year? Bobby Valentine. That's right. And it was a, yep. bit, it was a bit of a disaster that year, right? Cause there was this big thing, Bobby Valentine coming in, team didn't do well. Right, you struggled as well. You had a six. Mm -hmm. What kind of environment was that in 2012? And you know, with you and and obviously you personally had the struggles and everything else. What kind of environment did was that? Because I was in I was in 2013 in spring training, and um, I just heard I heard a lot of things about 2012. It was just different. Well, I guess you have a six because when you give up six runs and don't give it out, you're gonna have a six. As a reliever, uh, yeah, that stifled that stifled my whole year right there. I think I gave up uh, maybe a grand slam and uh, three or four doubles in one inning. It was wild. Um, I don't know what why that that year was so bad for me. I guess it was only the first half. If you were to break down the halves yeah. of the year for me, yeah. the first half of that year was atrocious. I felt fine. Um, Mentally, I felt good. It was just I wasn't getting outs, and um, I got sent down to AAA. And and honestly, that was the best part of my career was getting sent down, right. back against the wall, having closed in Houston. Um, you know, the year prior, it was really from a high down to a low. Yeah. And then when I was in the low, I was I was forced to realize that if I don't do well right now then I may never get back up to the big leagues and my career is probably over. So there was more focus and more dedication and more, you know, just like grit at that point in time um, than, than any time in my career. And, and that, I still think back to that time I'm sitting in, in triple a going, man, this is it. I, if I don't shine now, it's, it's over. Yeah. And so I use that and I use that, that memory even now, you know? Yeah. So, 
So you hold on. So in other words, you basically, even 20, going back to 2012 and it's 2020 right now. So you've had eight years basically of, yeah, I mean, doing amazing things in the game, being one of the best bullpen arms there is, you know, making an all-star team three times and everything else. You still cling on to what happened in 2012 and those, just those moments when you're getting sent down and that you feel like, obviously there's other factors as well. Is it a sense of never being comfortable or never feeling like you got it figured out? I haven't felt, com- I mean, first time I started to feel comfortable was probably when I signed my deal. And then even then I didn't feel comfortable because I felt like I had to live up to expectations right. and that wasn't fun. So it wasn't until maybe the last couple of years that I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable. And, but that's kind of the way I've always played in, in any sport, even growing up was, you know, don't, you don't want to feel comfortable. Right. You know, um, I feel like Gary Rice, I, I heard him talk and that's, he, he put it really eloquently, but it was, you know, that was his whole model and his career was yeah. like, he just, he just would practice and be out on his own because, you know, on, on days off, he'd be working and, because he felt like the next guy was going to take his job. And, yeah. you know, everybody yeah. looked at him like he's crazy because they knew who Jerry Rice is. And not that I'm saying I'm comparing myself to Jerry Rice, but it's just yeah, I haven't felt, uh, you know, I, I really until last couple of years, maybe I haven't felt like I could take a day off because yeah. talent-wise, I'm not the most talented person, you know. And so my hard work, I feel like, is what's gotten me there. It's amazing you said that, man, because, you know, like Felix Hernandez, so I've been covering the Mariners since 2016 on, on the media side. And I've, I played with him when he was at the peak. And then I got a chance to witness him, you know, towards the end. He was in spring training with you guys. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I, I kind of use this analogy that Felix was that kid that when he's, you know, 10, 11, 12, he's, he's bigger than everyone. He's man child. You know, those kids are just way bigger. All of a sudden, everyone goes through puberty. They get that testosterone and everyone's the same size. And that one kid who was bigger than everyone when they were 11, 12 was looking around and go, hold on a second. And these other kids have had to make those adjustments. Like there's not that comfort factor. And I think with Felix, he's, whether he's going to keep playing or not, ran into that. And it's what you do after that. So do you feel like, you know, for you, what were you a ninth round pick, right? Originally? Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. So you were, in a sense, there was that element of being overlooked, and there's that sense of you don't throw a hundred. Obviously, everyone in the game now throws ninety-five to a hundred. So, do you feel like those little elements right there? That's what kind of keeps driving you forward. Well, you know, it was, it was back when I was drafted. It was the, the rules were different, so they could. I don't think I was overlooked. I think I had an injury during yeah. the draft, and. Um, but it did – it kind of made me mad that I went in the ninth round because I felt like I was a first or second rounder. Right. Um, but that was – that did – you know, that was hindsight. So I, I feel like so many times people get in their own way. And yeah. I'm running a business now, you know, and I feel like even our employees, like they do things just to get in their own way. Just stay yeah. out of your own way and you'll have success. Right. You know, half the battle is just – not screwing up and I saw that in college I've seen that all throughout the minor leagues even in the big leagues probably more so in the big leagues. you know consistency plays out and you're usually at that level when you start talking about college minor leagues especially the big leagues but you have the talent it's it's all the other 
tangibles that can screw you up, you know? Yeah. So I felt like I've had a good support system. You know, my family is just unbelievable. Um, so I haven't had to battle some of that stuff that maybe other people do. Yeah. So, wow. so explain to me, I would like to hear a little bit how you transitioned from the game, <laughs> Yeah, you know, in, into being commentating and, and announcing and stuff like that. Yeah, man. It, it, you know, it's crazy. Um, and I, I, last couple of years, the, the Major League Baseball's had these, um, the Players Association have had these summits where like, it's like a career summit for guys trying to make that transition. And you don't realize that you're not out of the game and you're not going to be for a while. And you're on a different yeah. level too. There's a ton of guys that have that, I played in the big leagues badge. And, you know, like Mike Sweeney told me this, um, one of my favorite teammates, he's like, regardless of what kind of money you're going to make in this game, you have to do something that's proactive once you're done playing. You have to have a career. That's how we're built. And it was interesting, you know, as a player, I'm, yeah, you mid-20s, late-20s, whatever, and you feel like you got it all figured out. And like, oh, yeah, I'll just play I'll just play golf. You hear that all the time. And then sure enough, oh, yeah. you know, guys start going into uh, – where's my identity gone? But just well, – I'm going I in a rabbit hole. I played golf with you. I played golf, and I could have told you a long time that that wasn't going to be it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it should have been. You needed a little work. <laughs> it was terrible, dude. I, um, everyone's like, oh, you play golf? It's funny, too. Like, people who, like, you know, you try – like you know in a work environment like oh you want to go play golf like a boss or something i'm like oh i can't today it's flat out just because i'm terrible i, I just don't want to right. expose myself but no i um when i got done playing i was doing some stuff when i got done with the mariners especially i was doing some stuff you know on like a little radio show and stuff like that with rick riz the, yeah. the play-by-play guy and um yeah so i knew something it was something i definitely want to get into but i got done playing and i was like okay what the hell do i do now you know it was hard, man. The hard thing for me transitioning into this, into broadcasting was I'm not a dude who played 20 years in the big leagues. You know, I'm not some household name. How do I do it? And I knew that in Seattle, I knew enough people here, enough people knew me. I love it up here. I love the people. So I came up for a couple of weeks, asked around and they said, hey, we'd love for you to do something. But then everyone just assumes that like you just walk straight into it. You know, like you just, oh yeah, right. here's a job and yeah, get on TV. And that's not the case, man. I had to right. hustle like crazy. 2016, I was like begging to get on TV there for a second. Where I was yeah. like, oh, you know, because CJ Nikowski, a guy who, he works with the Rangers. He's a guy that really helped me out. Um, and he's actually coming up another episode of this. He said, hey man, you just have to keep getting in their face. Just keep giving them content, give them something. Yeah, you know, and and again, like I say, like unless you're Frank Thomas or A Rod on on Fox covering the playoffs, I mean they're household names. They can walk in and say, "Hey, I can talk. I've got an opinion. Boom, put me on." Um, so right. it's constant. It's constantly been that thing. But I love it, man. I have a business back in Australia, Next Gen Baseball. Myself, Trent Olchin, another you know Australian major leaguer. We um you know we bring kids over, get them into college and everything else. It takes up a lot of time. I love it. But um, no, man, I, I, I really enjoy it, man. It, for me, it's about staying around the game and, and getting a chance, you know, to talk to you and talk to some, some players and, and, and uh, you know, have an opinion. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's not playing. I miss playing, that's for sure. Well, you know, I felt bad because I know you wanted to get on here a little sooner and uh, I was just so busy. But it's got to be tough to, to call people and, you know, talk through – because I've, I've thought about doing a podcast before. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a lot of information. You got you to do a lot of research. Yeah. You got to come up with some stuff. And uh, so I really, I, I commend you, man. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's cool. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you, you're doing it. And 
it's probably an opportunity for you to meet and, and really take the time to have a real conversation and, exactly. and dive into some things that yeah. it gives you a platform to be able to do some stuff that maybe you wouldn't be able to do on a normal conversation. You, right? you can't. Yeah, absolutely. And for this too, like with, with this podcast that you're on right now, I mean, you know, I, I can talk to Max Scherzer, I can talk to you, Daniel Bard, I can talk to, you know, non-baseball players even, you know, and people yeah. who just inspire me. I just want to hear stories. And, and, and for me, like I said, man, it's therapy for me. It really is. I get done right. an hour of this. And obviously like the editing side of things is a bit of a nightmare. I'm not very good. Right. I don't quite know what I'm doing, but having these right. kind of conversations and diving in and, and doing the research and, and finding little things out or, or maybe predicting turning points. Like for you, you know, 2012, you see those numbers and then all of a sudden you turn around, you're an all-star the next year. I'll, I'll, you know, I want to dive into that. And I think people enjoy listening to that, but the podcast stuff, man, I, I would highly recommend it. You'd be very good at it. It's just a free way for you to, to, to get some of that stuff out and, 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 and dive into things, man. It, it's, it's therapeutic. That's for sure. And by the yeah. way, you know, I mentioned Daniel Bard. So you were teammates with him. You were kind of, you were probably there when he was at the beginning of the yips, right? I don't know yeah. if you remember that at all, but man. Yeah, so we, we actually, you know, the story I referred to about getting sent down, we actually got sent down together. Oh, okay. And, and I, I remember that well, because, because we, you know, we, we were both struggling together. And and Bart at that point had had a lot of success. I mean, he's throwing 100 miles an hour and, you know, just just struggling. I think even when he was having success, there was times where he was walking people and stuff like that, but he had such good stuff, he'd get out of it. But I remember thinking he just needs to admit to himself that he's struggling. Yeah, He'd had so much success and the whole city of Boston loved him. And, yeah. and I think it was hard for him to just flat out admit I'm right. struggling. It's almost like an AA meeting. The first step is just to yeah. admit that you have a problem. And then right. once you get past that, you can move forward. And I just, I always, it took him a while, a while to understand that, okay, I got to start, I got to take two steps back so yeah. that I can go three forward. And uh, I'm so happy for him now. You know, he's just this last year coming back. After, oh man. That what a story, crazy. right? Very it's cool. an amazing story. And, and And what a great guy for it to, to come full circle yeah. forward. It's been, it's been cool. It gives me goosebumps to think about what he's yeah. done. And I mean, shoot, he's throwing hundred miles an hour again. It's like, oh, he's never amazing. left. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And one thing too, and, and you know, the psychological thing of pitching and you've been through, obviously you've had a lot of success lately, but you've been through it, man. You've been through the trenches. You've been on a plane down to AAA and questioning mm -hmm. how long am I going to be playing for? You asked me about that transition out of, out of play. I remember, you know, getting to a, I was put on the fan of DL and I wake up in the middle of the night saying my career is literally, I was telling myself my career is going to be over in six months. If I don't figure this out, what am I going to do? And I couldn't imagine, obviously, on his level, but everyone goes through it at some point. You know, even Max yeah. Scherzer talking to him. Uh, when he got traded to the Tigers, he had, you know, in the back of his head, you know, with the mechanical stuff and everything that the right. D-backs had said to him. And all of a sudden, he got on a roll. So all of a sudden, he had it, I've got this figured out. And then he got crushed. Mm -hmm. And then that was, he went through a streak where he couldn't get anyone out. And that was the turning point for him. Even when he won a Cy Young, he's like, no, no, no. Next year, I've got to do this and do that. I just think... Yeah. You know, and Daniel Bard's an extreme case of that. It, he really sure. is. But just when you get to that situation, you know, when you get sent down and hopefully you're in that right environment, there's a bit of luck involved that, you know, maybe there's a pitching coach or a teammate who says something. Was that, in, and going back to that 2012 year, was there a coach or someone 
that made those couple little phrases towards you that uh, got you out of that funk that you were in? Actually, when we were together in 2011, that's the last time I've really thought about mechanics. I think uh, talking mechanics, there's certain, you know, there's left brain, like right brain, brain individuals and, and just the way people think. And I think talking mechanics and having pitching coaches preach constant mechanics is, all, is not always a good thing. It can't yeah, be for I agree. some people. You get to a certain level and you just got to be able to to, to, to feel and yeah and understand and, and make that adjustment on the fly it can't be oh i have to lift my leg higher i have to yeah. separate sooner you know those are the basics and if you're thinking about that at too much of a fundamental level your ability is so far beyond that that, right. that you're actually you're, you're hurting yourself so I, in 2011 is when doug Rokel kind of told me don't don't even think about mechanics anymore just feel it and do what you feel and yeah. and I took that and I told him that this year because he was he was coaching pitching coach for the Orioles and I saw him it was one of the first times I've seen him in a long time and I told him that was the first thing I said he said because of you I don't think about mechanics anymore wow I appreciate that but now is that a turning point or anything no but yeah. I think it's it's freed up me mentally and just allowed me to physically do some things that, you know, uh, maybe prior to I, I, I would have been strapped. Yeah. Or, so, yeah, I think that's big. But uh, my, my college coach, who I just absolutely love, has always top, told me and even texted me, you know, now is like just compete and have courage and, and don't leave anything on the table, essentially. You know, and, and just having that mindset is, is a game changer. Yeah, I, I, but you and I, in spring training 2011, you got to know you now, I've watched you from afar. I feel like you have that, you do have a good ability. I don't think you probably realize this or not, to basically not take on too much or care what other people think, in a sense. Like, mm -hmm. some guys are just, it's good to be coachable, right? It's good to take stuff on, especially when you're struggling. But to, there's, there's a skill and a gift that you have to be able to, because everyone wants to put their stamp on you. When you're struggling, or whatever it may be, or you go, you got traded from the Red Sox over to the, the Pirates. I guarantee you, here you are coming off a six, and you've got, probably got pitching coaches or a front office or someone trying to say, hey, this is, we got you in this trade and, and, and trying to put their stamp on you. Not in a bad way, but great intentions. But to yeah. have that ability to take in the good and to be able to block out all, all the stuff that's just going to be an absolute nuisance, it's really hard to do. That, that was not me, man. I was way too coachable. You know, yeah. I was way too, hey, give me something. You know, what is it? What is it? Like, what do you see? And people don't, don't especially back then, man, people, people don't know. Analytics is a little bit different now, but, you know, so much value in that. It's funny because I feel like I'm very, uh, I want to please people. So yeah. that, makes, that makes it hard because, to your point, I think you're in the same boat as you want to please people, so therefore you want to listen and you want to do everything that yeah. somebody tells you to do. And on the flip side, as a coach, you're probably a coach because you want to help people. You, at least you would hope that's yeah. why they're coaching. And so I think about myself and, and being an older guy now, if I see somebody struggle or a young guy struggle, and I know why they're struggling, at least I think, I'm usually going to try to give them a tip. Yeah. And, and that's just natural. You know, yeah. I want to help you out because I've been in your shoes. Yeah, I understand. I can foresee what's going on or what's going to happen just by the way you're going about something because I've already been through that. Yeah. 
And so I feel for the coaches and, and putting a stamp on it, maybe they're just trying to help. And in and, and reality, if that person can't handle it, they may not be helping. But I feel like that's on the individual to be able to decipher, is that good information or is it is it not going to help me? Yeah. But I think you have to be open yeah. to everybody, you know, especially when you're struggling. But learn how to to receive that information and not maybe take it literally on everything. Just understand the idea, lock it in your in your files in the back of your yeah. brain. Maybe at some point that will be used somewhere, but yeah. right now maybe it's not worthwhile. For you sure, know? yeah, for sure. Did you surprise yourself 2013, the numbers you put up? Um, yeah, I was surprised. But yeah, so Russell Martin, you know, going back to your question, he helped me a lot. Okay. Um, he had just come from the Yankees and, and catching Mariano and – you know, I played with Mariano and I didn't throw a cutter. Actually, in Houston, I started throwing a cutter with Brandon Lyon. When I was with the Yankees, they taught the pitching coach. I'm drawing a blank. Um, awesome guy. Uh, anyways, he, he taught me the grip of a cutter. Mm-hmm. And he said, just just play with it. Okay. Well, then I got traded and I continued to play with it. And Brandon Lyon was throwing the cutter. So him and I would play catch once in a while and he would show me what the ball's supposed to rotate like and, yeah. and look like and so we would do that and i i always had good spin on it and then i just started taking it into a game and my mindset was i'm going to throw a, a four seam fastball on the edge of the plate if it breaks great if it doesn't it's a painted strike yeah you know that that was my mindset it's any break that i get is a is a bonus mm-hmm. I started doing it. It didn't really matter if it broke, but it started to break. And the more I threw it, the more consistent it was. But it was just a four-seam fastball, and I'd grip it a little different. Over time, I, I learned how to use it, and it's been really good. So then when I get to Pittsburgh and Russell Martin's catching me, he said, you know, I've just been catching Mariano for the last couple of years, and you have an unbelievable cutter. Why don't you just throw that all the time? And I'm like, yeah, it's not that easy, Russ. Not everybody has Mariano's pinpoint location and movement. And he said, we're just going to throw that until the hitter tells us we can't. And wow. so 2013, literally, I, I just threw cutters and curveballs. And um, I threw a two-seamer prior to that, four-seamer, mm-hmm. curveball, changeup. And we just reduced my repertoire, had some major success. And that was a little bit before the cutter is what it is today everybody yeah. throws a cutter today unfortunately but <laughs> you know i was kind of ahead of the curve there i guess yeah. Yeah. and um, hitters didn't see that all that often and you know it worked out well so so i guess i guess it, it kind of allows you to do that if you're coming off a tough year and you're kind of again searching for answers a little bit then you got russell martin saying dude that thing's nasty right mm-hmm. someone who you're going to value their opinion Mm-hmm. who can see it behind the play who's seen so many good pitches especially mariano and yeah. basically you know, you're just gonna throw this the whole time you're probably like hold on a minute he throws a cutter the whole time mariano does yeah okay yeah, right really no one else does. i mean brandon Lyon. you mentioned him he did too yeah that right there as far as you know turning a corner and finding something and this is pre-analytics right i mean there's no track man rap soda right. giving you the ball behavior or anything like that that's straight feel. right yeah so so that was that was a huge turning point. You know, I don't even think about that all that often, but that was definitely a turning yeah. point. And um, the Pirates too, around that time, 
they seem to have something going really well with pitching, right? As far mm -hmm. as the, was there something yeah. they did differently to who you with with the Red Sox and the Astros? So Ray Searage, Ray Searage was a pitching coach. Um, the philosophy there, and it was it was all throughout the organization. And I, I thought that that's what they did a very good job of was kind of building from from the bottom and teaching a philosophy which I agreed with and I've always agreed with is you got to pitch inside. Even to today, I still hear people talk about, man, I hated to face the Pirates because they would just pitch inside, inside, inside relentlessly. I didn't think it was preached that heavily when I was there. There was times when we would talk about it. It's funny to hear, you know, now, you know, guys that, that I played against when I was with the Pirates, talk about how much we pitched inside yeah, and how much they hated it as a hitter. So that just tells me how important it is to pitch inside yeah. and, 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 and own that inside part of the plate, which then gives you the outside and, you know, pitching at its finest. But today's game, I don't think people pitch inside enough. I think it's kind of a lost art, but you know, there's, there's been a few things definitely that have, have turned my career around, but, I want to know why, really, why aren't you going back to, to Australia at all? So you mean, I go back twice a year. I go back in do October. You? Yeah, and I go back in January. We, we do camps, um, testing back there. We bring kids over, like 40 kids over for, um, to try and get them into college, you know, whether it's JUCO all the way up to, you know, we get a couple of kids, Oregon State, Stanford. Um, cool. Yeah, we go back twice a year. And again, man, I'd love to spend way more time back there. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. as 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 you've experienced. Um, so this is a company that you have that you you yeah. try to get these kids. That's awesome. Yeah, if you want a coaching job, man, I mean, I can hook you up. Yeah, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's been a blast. Trent Ultra and I, we sat, you know, in in a, in over a beer one night and said, "Oh, hey, we've been friends forever." And we said, "Hey, look, how can we change what's going on? Not that there's anything bad going on back in Australia, but yeah. how can we like?" use our network and resources yeah. and what we've done experience and everything to, to help out these kids. And, you know, five years later, now we've got 35 kids going to D ones and, and signing professionally kid, you know, just signed with the Phillies for a ton of money and you know, another kid, like other kids with other teams and, and everything else. So um, everything from, you know, doing the camps to our online training program, all that kind of stuff it takes up a lot of time. I don't know how to run a business. Uh, you know, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, I'm, the business runs me and runs Trent. <laughs> you know I mean? Like we don't own that thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's I love it, man. I love it. I, it's a good balance, and everything sort of lines up where I can broadcast. I can be around Major League Baseball, especially during the summer, and then I can really hone in and, and sort of they kind of cross a little bit. Um, and yeah. then I can. You know, so how do you, how do you get the kids? Um, how do they come to you and say, "Hey, I want to go to Stanford." So basically, we will select a group, a, a massive group, every a couple of sophomores, juniors, and freshmen. Ah, uh, sorry, and seniors, and they come over in October. They come over to Arizona, and there's Arizona Four Classic. So we, it's hard, man. When when you it's travel baseball these days is crazy. Like it's so competitive, and there's showcases every week. Well, when you're coming from Australia, it's it's expensive, and you really have yeah. to nail it, man. When you come over and you're over for ten days or fifteen days, whatever, you have to nail it, like nail it. You have to be on. Um, so what we do, we take them to Arizona and um, we show them off. We, before they even get there, all these schools know who they are, all their information, their videos and blah, blah, blah. 
everything else. And then we make sure the schools are there to watch them. You know, they'll, they'll get like, for example, Jimmy Nadler, who's going to Stanford, which is a tough one because you've got to translate the, the, the grades and the education is really, it's a tough school to get into plus international grades. It's just different. So um, Thomas Seager, I just, I pounded him all year and said, Hey, look, you've got to see this kid. And this kid's an absolute stud, mate. He's really good. And he's academic. Yeah. Because I, I get to Arizona. I said, I promise you, mate, you, I, you'll, and as soon as you saw him, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, how do we start this process? And it's a long process after that. You know, same as Oregon State. Some of the kids who are going to JUCO is obviously a lot easier process. And on the pro side as well, it's about, you know, it, it is, there is a bit of a, a ceiling down there how much, you know, you can sign a kid from internationally, as, as, as you know. So Josh Gester, a kid who, you know, I basically, he's like a younger brother to me. I know he's listening to this, by the way. But um, he signed with the Phillies for a lot of money, but the offers were low to start. And he's so talented. He's so laser-focused, everything else. And we just kept working, and, and he trusted me a little bit. And we got the offers up, and we got the exposure up and everything. So all these little things, man, but, but we love doing it. It's fun. We make sure the kids are ready to roll when they get to Arizona. You know, they walk in, and they're ready to, to show off, you know? Yeah, yeah. We've got that, that small window to do it. You know, I... I, I taught a few camps down in australia new zealand and i was always so impressed with with the kids and how passionate they are yes they appreciate it too they appreciate it um it's it gives i mean i'm just thinking about it it's just uh it's really cool and that's what i love about where you come from is just the great respect that they have and you know there's australians have done a really good job of raising their kids and and just appreciation gratitude so that's cool i'm glad i'm glad you're helping them out yeah man it's uh so you're just forming relationships with college coaches oh man yeah it's and that in itself is a massive process and and you know it's one of these things you it's a big balance where like you know they're college coaches you don't want to because again man like it's a delicate situation right like you're walking in it's it's a challenge for them because obviously a strain kid like an out-of-state kid basically same thing you want to make sure that i come across the right way i'm not ramming these kids down their throats same as trent you know trent and i personality wise is very different so sometimes he's better off dealing with you know these sure. kind of coaches and then you've got the really good ones like some of the, like oregon state and, and thomas eager at, at Stanford, these are big programs and some other big programs, they just get it. You know, coach Rich Dorman, one of my best friends, he's now the pitching coach at Oregon state. They, they get it, man. They, they really, they understand and they're, they're transparent. And then you've got the other ones and, and you probably haven't had to deal with this for a long time, but the ego gets involved for some reason. It's like, I don't know why. Um, you know, we had Grant Balfour come out and coach with this in October. So some of them see some of the California schools or camp, the Southeastern schools know who he is. And so they're like, it's just weird. Like they put their guard up and Grant's trying to talk to these schools. Cause he's like, Oh, I watched this kid. And he's a stud. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, another guy, Dan Butler, I think he may have been with the Red Sox when you were yeah, there. No, no, I went to school with him. We played together at Arizona. Yeah. Right. So Dan came out and he was helping out and he's great because like he's been to a big school um, and he's been to a small yeah. school as well. So he was helping out and we just try and get as many really good mentors for these kids and, and, and guys who can give them those net, that, that resource that they need to, to know what's really going on. You know what I mean? So it, that's it, great. Yeah, Mark. I mean, well, by, by I'm the way, be man, calling you in a few years when my kids are going to school, dude, you got to get them a scholarship, right? With, absolutely, man. I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot in the last four years. I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. It's, it's a I'm, tricky, tricky business. That's for sure. So I'm sure it is. 
But anyway, Mike, I, I've kept you too long. I, I, I said I was going to keep it uh, 30 minutes, and here we are. So, well, 40, 45 well, you kept minutes. me long enough for my computer to almost run out of batteries. Yeah. <laughs> so, so who, who's been the worst? You can tell me. If it's the me. worst interview, you mean? Yeah. Um, well, Chris Martin is in his truck, right, on his phone with the San Francisco backdrop. You know that, sil- that cheesy Zoom backdrop? So he's yeah. basically got that. I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> it was funny. I'm like, you're kidding. No, he was fun, man. Once we got into it, yeah, he was talking about this year, obviously, with you and the Braves and stuff. We talked about you, actually, just a little bit. But um, hey, he's got some of the best stuff from yeah. a perspective. Yeah. I know, man. He's talented beyond belief. Big time. Yeah. Um, and his whole story is wild. Yeah. I will say, man, Daniel Bard, uh, talking to him about that seven years of trying to get his head and his meditation and the books and everything was nuts. That yeah. was crazy. Um, but like, you know, for example, I had uh, Randy Couture, I had the MMA fighter was on. And oh, he's man. into this story about getting knocked out from, by Brock Lesnar. And it cut out. The, 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 the internet went on me. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, hey, do you mind telling that again? <laughs> But no, it's been fun, man. And like you said, it's just it's just an easy, free, it's a way for me just to do my own thing, really. You know, I love it. It's fun. Mark, I appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks. That was fantastic. All right, man. I appreciate it. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode with Mark Melanson. He is the man. I love that dude. Now, I, I'm so happy for him having a killer career. Been jumping all over the place. Got through a lot great conversation remember to go to www.thetopstep.com check out past episodes got uh, one of his teammates i've got daniel bard i've got max scherzer i've got the yankees mental skills coordinator coming up i've got cj nikowski i've got nick swisher i've got aaron goldsmith bunch of mariner players it's all coming up to make sure you subscribe and we will see you next week oh by the way if you've got any feedback or any requests for guests or whatever or if you want quarantine stories Hit me up. You can write me an email to, uh, if you go to www.thetopstep.com, there's a contact uh, sheet. Anyone who writes to me, I get right back to you. All right, guys. We'll see you next week right here on The Top Step.